You're about to enter Nowhere, California. If you like what you hear, please search for us on iTunes. Uh, look at Nowhere, California, all one word. You can also find us on Facebook.com slash Nowhere, California. Please hit like. And as always, we are very hungry for your feedback. So if you have any requests or anything like that, please send your love, your hate, or your apathy to Nowhere underscore California at Yahoo.com. This is your next installment of Why Not? As always, if you have not seen the movie that we are about to discuss, which is the 1991 classic, The Fisher King, go watch it now. We'll wait. We don't want to ruin anything for you. And if you haven't watched it yet, you, you should be kind of ashamed of yourself. So go watch The Fisher King, enjoy the movie, come back, and listen to us talk about it. Josh. And this is Phil. And as the opening told you, this is why not the Fisher King. Yeah. Um, as we told you after our little um, <clears throat> breaking across the crawls of Street Fighter, the rest of this year will be all Robin Williams' why nots because this is our show. <laughs> it is. And the thing is, what we want to remind everybody here is a lot of people have a tendency, and uh, this is you know no different with Robin Williams, which I've kind of uh, found astounding, is that when a person passes, people sometimes focus on the way we lost that person. Yeah. And we sometimes forget what an incredible and uh, wonderful individual they were. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, as far as I'm concerned, still are. Like Elvis exactly. Presley. Elvis Presley is still going to be the king of rock. Exactly. And, and also, too, uh, there, a lot of things happen with actors when they pass away. Their more mainstream exactly. work is focused on and then there's stuff that gets lost in the shuffle it is and that's kind of one of the main reasons we chose uh, Fisher King as the first one we we're going to hit because I, I will honestly admit it I did not see the Fisher King until after Robin's passing I'm mm -hmm. still freaking ashamed of it you know the thing is um, you know normally I would I would give you so much grief and I know I do yeah. like I'm like dude how do you miss Big Trouble in Little China but you know what you got to take a look at Robin Williams' body of work. And there is a lot of amazing stuff that I haven't seen. Yeah. I still haven't seen, I think, The World According to Garp. I have been told about that. Oh, wow. I'm meaning to see it, but I still haven't yeah. seen it. But he has left an incredible body of work, and I am going to enjoy that one of these days. Oh, yeah. It's well, on my bucket list. We, right? will, we will be hitting that in these series of Why Nots. Because, oh, cool. Uh, like you, there's a lot of people that know of The World According to Garp, but go... Nah. No, no. World of Corner Garp was his first, like one of his first big shots at stretching his balance. Yeah. Like people, like Popeye was his first movie. Oh yeah, it was a stretch for him and everything, but still it was a goofy role and everything. Yeah, but the World of Corner Garp was comedic, but also had a lot of drama in it. Oh, absolutely. And the same thing goes with the Fisher King. Oh, yeah. That's the that's the one thing I was really ashamed about when I finished watching. It was like all this. When you movie, realized how funny it was, how funny it was, but also too how right up the alley it was for me. Oh, like, really? How I like those type of movies. You you do you do. And the thing is, well, who better to convey it than Robin Williams? Oh, exactly. The man. Oh, this is one of those things. I saw it when I was a tot. You know, I'm the same. When you probably shouldn't have. <laughs> uh, well, no, the thing is, no, 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 no. My my folks, you know, it's kind of Well, you like, got the good folks where, like, if there was something where you're, like, start chasing somebody around with a big-ass knife going, this is my sword. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. No, no the thing is, <laughs> or it's like, you know, they find you in the park naked. <laughs> oh, right, exactly. Oh, that, that, that one was odd. No, no, no. We, oh, that was before Fisher King. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
I probably would have done that when I was five. Yeah. But, you know, uh, I wasn't into doing that. All I see is, oh, look, Mork's being silly. Yeah. You know, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I couldn't convey, you know, I didn't look at movies the same way I do now. I oh, mean, yeah. I look at it and I'm like, oh, yeah, oh, I love the funny parts, but, you know, a lot of the story got lost to me. Yeah. But, man, I can really, uh, I, re I was, I reread re the synopsis. Like I said, I didn't exactly refresh for this movie. Uh, but I read the synopsis to it, and I just... You want to know what I was thinking to myself? Holy shit, why the hell isn't this in my video library? Yeah. Because it is... Uh, it's a traditional Robin Williams thing. Well, I you bought know. it... Um, after you pass away, I went on that jag of just buying Robin movies left and right. Oh, you, you, well, you got to, because they're going to go up in value. They're going to go up in value, but also, too, I, I kind of had that reverse effect like all you guys had, where you're kind of like, I, I, I'm not ready to watch this stuff yet. I, I, not, I wasn't wanting to stop no and it, it, it didn't really get obsessive but it was just like if i stop i don't know how i'm gonna react well exactly it just it was just painful yeah. you know it, the, the 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 problem is the, the <clears throat> same thing with harold granted is like i wasn't gonna stop watching ghostbusters yeah. but you needed to it, take the pause i i didn't have to but i still watch it and i still watch it and i'm like god i wish you were still with us and that's what i do with robin now yeah. I'm like, God, I wish you were still with us. Same thing with all the other greats, Rodney Dangerfield, stuff yeah, like that. Right. Um, you know, John Candy. Um, there there are just many greats that I wish you were still there, but you know what? I do love their body of work, yeah. and they will always be there. And, like, and with, Robin is no exception. God, yeah. I'm looking at his credits, right? Yeah. There's 102 credits. For and we're going to be George. cramming in as much as we can when we do these why nots. Oh, I know, I know. We're, we're, we're aiming for the obscure because these are the ones that we say... Um, why not you, this? Why not? Yeah. Why if, not the Fisher King? If if you if you are not familiar with his body of work, you really got to check this out. Yeah. You know, and this was a this was a pretty good stretch for him. And 1991 was a big year because you want to know what he did after this? Hook. Yeah. And that was really Two good. Two flips of the coins. It is. It is. And he was really fun writing that. He would do um, he would do something that was okay. Here's something for the Academy. Here's something for the kids. Yeah. You know, and Peter Pan, him revisiting that, and he can do that. And uh, you know, there are so many artists that uh, will do something, and then you know, I'm never gonna, re I'm never gonna return to this again. Yeah, I'm not gonna do anything that's kid friendly or anything like that. They, they go, it's like I, I'm all, I, I'm gonna embrace the art and stuff like that. But Robin Williams, he embraced the art, but also he never was afraid to go back and revisit some stuff. Oh yeah, exactly. And, um, that's why I always, I always enjoyed uh, watching him. I mean, yes, he he would he would do funny. He would do serious. I mean, he was all over the spectrum. Oh, yeah. That's um, kind of the thing, though, too, with uh, Fisher King. He never really revisited something like this because of one thing is the cast. Yeah. But also to the director. Right. Right. The director is Terry Gilliam of Monty Python thing. Right. And Terry Gilliam has a certain way he directs. Um, he has a certain form. He has a certain way he rolls with things. Terry Gilliam, uh, we'll get more into Terry Gilliam's work <clears> at the end, but <throat> to, like throughout a random Terry Gilliam reference, the imaginary Dr. Parnassus. Oh, there you go. Heath Ledger's final film and everything, which they were able to continue with after his passing, but they wanted to finish <clears> it for Heath. If you've seen that movie, you know what I'm talking about, how oh, it's yeah. weird. It's a weird one, but it is odd. beautifully done, though, too. And that's that's the work of Terry Gilliam. And then you look at the cast. Of course, <laughs> we start with uh, Jeff Bridges. Yeah, he's the main uh, lead. He mm -hmm. is Jack, the radio DJ. Well, the fallen radio DJ. Right, right. We talked about him just... Uh... You know, just last episode when we talked about how he's kind of adopted this Texas twang. Now. Yeah, he, he's became that actor who's basically like, I can do whatever I want. 
Yeah, exactly. And he, he, but he's that type of actor he can do whatever he wants and still make it look damn good. Exactly. It's just one of those things. Yeah, yeah. he plays Jack, the radio DJ, the shock jock in uh, Made yeah. of Howard Stern, where he gets his uh, call in from a, just a whack job, basically. But mm -hmm. in his shock jock mentality, brushes him off and goes, whatever, do whatever you need to do. But that leads into the fall, which is basically this uh, disturbed person goes into a high-end restaurant and opens fire. Right. Which leads into uh, the our, next... The other character, Perry, played by Robin Williams. Yes. Uh, Perry is, uh, well, well, uh, the way uh, the way I would describe him is uh, eccentric. Eccentric, very eccentric. Uh, very eccentric. Uh, basically, he's a... He, is Jesus he, fell in the cracker? He <laughs> believes. He believe. Doesn't he believe he's a knight yeah. searching for the Holy Grail? He's Yeah, he's on a search for the Holy Grail. He's on a medieval quest for the... Yeah. Holy Grail. Yeah. Now I'm repeating you. <laughs> I, I know you are. That's okay. But you know that's the funny thing is uh, he he meets he comes across Perry when uh, you know Jeff after causing this terrible thing to happen. Yeah. His basically yeah Jack he loses he loses everything doesn't he he loses his job. Uh, yeah. And, uh, well, he doesn't his, really lose his job. But his credibility he, and everything is he, all... Well, his credibility goes to crap, but he just steps away because of such a traumatic thing that he puts the blame on himself. For. Right, and he becomes, uh, the, way, uh, the, way the, the way the thing goes, uh, suicidally despondent. Yeah. And uh, he gets beaten up by a, bunch of mugger, uh, a couple of muggers, and then Perry comes and helps him. And that's how he meets this that's guy. That's how he meets uh, Perry. He wants to help him, but doesn't realize the full extent of oh yeah his real connection to Perry until a little while into the movie. And then right. that leads to him really wanting to help him, but not sure in what extreme, because he feels mm -hmm. like he can give him money and just brush it off. But as soon as he gives Perry the money, mm -hmm. Perry just hands it off to another homeless person. Because exactly, because Perry doesn't need the money. He, he needs the whole rail. rail. Yeah. And then uh, it gives us uh, Mercedes. Uh uh, that's uh, Jeff Bridges' love interest in this film. Yeah, played Anne. by Mercedes Rule. Uh, her the character's name is Anne. 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 Played by the great Mercedes Rule. She won mm -hmm. the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress that year, too. Oh, awesome. And I believe the Golden Globe, too, if I'm remembering correctly. And was this for this picture? For Fisher King, yes. Awesome. Awesome. Um, Robin was nominated for he the Oscar. He was nominated for an Oscar. But didn't win, but he did win the Golden Globe that year. Well, I, 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 I do love to say, you know, it's the same thing. It's an honor to be nominated. Yeah. And he certainly did. He worked his butt off for this one. He and did. He did. And uh, Perry's a wonderfully relatable guy for a guy who's uh, got the cheese slid off his crack. Yeah. But that's the way Robin Williams plays his roles. Oh, exactly. And um, uh, back to Anne's character real quick. She's kind of the thing that came into Jack's life and brought him back to knowing that there's a he has a purpose. He doesn't... Right. He, he didn't cause that tragic circumstance, but he doesn't. He still doesn't let it go. But she's at least there to keep him grounded, exactly, and not wanting to find a tall building, right? And that's what he's been, you know, kind of searching for because of the the, the, the terrible act. Yeah. yeah, and then, but the the synopsis of the movie is basically we get the search for the Holy Grail in the literal sense of. Perry looking for the Holy Grail, and I yeah. guess in a roundabout way, figuratively for Jack to find the Holy Grail to find his place back in life. Exactly, and that's a that's a Terry Gillum thing. Yeah, it's a very Terry Gillum thing because mm -hmm. he he goes different levels, different metaphors, and all that stuff. And that's but he gets kinda, his point across. Yeah, it's the different aspects that Terry Gilliam likes to keep it multi layered because also too. Yes, uh, Perry's character lost his wife in such a tragic way, but he also is looking at 
a, a female character played by Amanda Plummer, Amanda name Plummer. of Lydia. Lydia, yeah. Yeah, and has feelings for her. Yeah, yeah, and uh, she's uh, she was like uh, she's a bookkeeper. Uh, yeah, bookkeeper. Yeah, really, really mousy young mousy, lady, eccentric on her own level. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And one of my favorite scenes. This is a scene I still remember as a kid. Is where they're sitting down. They're trying to have a date. You know, mm-hmm. Harry's all cleaned up. He's got you know his hair all combed. I mean, and he's still he's still going. He's going. Yeah, the full beard going and everything. He's got the full beard going. But you know what? That's that's uh, that's just Robin Williams going. I'm gonna get an Oscar for this, so I wear this. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, um, it's like I've said. In the past, just like in the Awakening, see, it's like you know, you know, it's gonna be, a, you know, he's gonna be, it's, it's gonna be a very good role because he grew a beard. Well, that's the whole thing. <laughs> I've said it before too. The man can grow a beard. He can. Yes, and he wears them so damn well. Oh, I mean, yeah. if, and, I, if I could wear them that well, I'd probably grow. And another thing he wore wears so well, like he did in that particular scene, is the suit. The, the striped suit. Oh yeah, yeah. Knowing they right. had to freaking pin it back on him since it was Jack, one of Jack's old suits. Yes, that still. was funny. And uh, he sings a Charlie Chaplin song, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah, he does. He does. Um, he gets the whole like crew crew going and stuff. Yeah, like that. and it's a very it's a very Terry Gilliam scene because the way it's lit and shot and everything, but also too it's very simple just by him just wanting to sing that song. As a filmmaker, um, how, how do you feel about like the, the way it was shot? I mean, oh, it's well, real, that's the, I, know, I said multiple have times. You, have you seen anything like like that since? No. Or? Other Terry Gilliam's films. Well, no, no, that's yeah. what I'm talking about. But, but that's the whole thing. That's how we talked about like there's certain stamps that filmmakers put towards their movies. And that's one of his. And Terry Gilliam shoots the shit out of his scenes. And like you see it in Imaginarium Park, Dr. Parnassus. You see it in mm-hmm. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. You see it in Brazil and all those other movies. Even in his earliest stuff with Holy Grail. Very simple shots and everything, but still beautifully done. Like the animation. Oh, like scene. the landscapes? The yeah. landscapes uh, are, that he captures in um, uh, uh, the Holy Grail? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And th- this is a basic restaurant scene that is exploded with color... With simplicity, just because of the context of the scene where he's just singing the song and they're just enjoying their time. Mm-hmm. In any other scene, it's just like, wow, Perry's a whack job. No, he's just wants to serenade his love. Exactly, and yeah. it uh, it comes across uh, uh, across very very candid and very very warm. Yeah, um, and also like she's she's like embarrassed. I love this scene. Like I said, I, I love the scene where they're sitting together. They're trying to have a conversation and stuff like that. She's like spilling water and shit like that, and he's spilling water too. He's deliberately doing it yeah. so she doesn't feel nearly as stupid. But she keeps doing stuff, and he continues yeah. doing it. By the end of it, they've kind of Cleared messed the up table. the entire table. <laughs> and I, I'm like, that is that's right. It is. It is. It's just. It, it, it is a Robin thing. Yeah, it's totally a Robin thing. You can almost guarantee that it was a thing he just started to roll with because it's mm-hmm. like, you know what? He loves his girl so much. He doesn't want her to feel awkward for knocking over the drink, so he's going to knock over a drink too. Yeah, and he has tips a over a candle. Time, yeah. Tips over a candle. Mm-hmm. Tips over a candle. She knocks over the drink. He knocks it off the table. Yes, yeah, exactly. And it, it was great. And, mm-hmm. and there's another scene that is pure Robin, and also too kind of a pure Gilliam scene because of the basicness of the scene, but how much you get from it is when Robin lets the little man out to play. <laughs> oh, right, in the Central Park? Yeah, the nudity in Central Park, which they literally did. Still, it's a surprising story that they were able to pull it off without having somebody show up going, oh, what God. the fuck is Robin Williams doing naked in the park? Yeah, because he was basically, he was completely in the buff, right? Oh, yeah. He, he, did, he wasn't even wearing, like, a long john to hover, uh, nope. to, to, hover uh, to cover Mr. Happy? Nope, you see it. Oh, my God. Yeah, and, and if I remember correctly, people were trying to throw a robe on him and everything. He's like, why? 
how often can I say I'm standing nude in Central Park without getting arrested? <laughs> and sober. <laughs> now that, that is a textbook Robin Yeah, he, he talks about dragging his ass in the grass and just loving it. Because ah, he's it, letting it fly. Because it's the, the synopsis of the scene is that's what Barry, Barry is doing. Do. Is laying there cloud bursting. Yes. And, and he says it's just, a skill. Yeah, and of course... We get um, Jeff Bridges going, what the fuck? He's like, I'm not doing that. Yeah, and but... He does it at the end. By the end of the movie, we get it. (laughs) Yeah, we get it, and that's a nice way to wrap it up, which was really, really cool. That we get it, and he gets it. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. And And, uh, like you said, the figurative... um, Is there more we could cover on the film? Do you want me to work? Well, there's there's so much to cover on the film, because you get, like, the the delusions of the Red Knight. Right. Where we know... Right off the bat, Perry has mental issues. Exactly. I mean, but he sees it, he, and uh, also the Red Knight. Really, another really wonderful spectacle to behold. Yeah, really drawn out because at first they were going to just make him the Red Knight with different parts you can find lying around. Like it had been like car parts and stuff building this night suit, but then Terry Gilliam was like, "No, we gotta, we gotta go with this because I think it was the idea that this night was burning from the inside out. So that's where right. the plumes of smoke." And just the demonicness of the scene. And the scene where uh, Perry gets attacked at the end. And yeah. he goes into the coma. And um, Jeff Bridges is finally getting the realization of where he needs to be. What he needs to be doing. Because at that time, they did the storming of the castle mm-hmm. for the grail and everything. And uh, Jack decides to return to his world. And he even leaves Anne behind, which is a date move. Yes, that's right. After everything this woman's done for him, he still goes, fuck it, I'm going back to radio. But still, there's mm-hmm. a chunk missing from him. Right. And we learn it's basically Perry. He leaves him in the hospital, mm-hmm. getting care and everything, but still... He abandoned it. Yeah. yeah. But then... Oh, wait. No, flip that script. Flip it. Yeah, sorry. Jeff Bridges is the one that gets his hands on the grill. Right. Because he takes it back to Perry... Mm-hmm. Sets it down with him and is like, here you go. Trophy. Come back to me. That's right. And because, Nick wakes up. Yeah. He wakes up to him singing. Yeah. And it's just kind of what? <laughs> mm-hmm. And he realizes that Perry's okay. And then, the, catatonic, the thing is he broke him out of the catatonic state because he had found the grail. He found the grail. And then also too, Lydia comes in to visit him. Mm-hmm. And she realizes he's fine. Mm-hmm. She's freaking out. And he's like, what's wrong? <laughs> I found you again. <laughs> and there's... Uh, I know we... There's a big, deep meaning there. There's a lot of deep meaning stories in this movie, and we only, like, scratched the surface. Yeah, I think that's the problem when we're, we're, we're going we're going on the cuff. Like I said, I'm going on the wiki link because, unfortunately, we, this we're is not We're going on the cuff, but also, too, the aspect of the Fisher King. It is a basic story. It, it is, is a very basic story of a medieval mission, a personal mission, mm-hmm. love... Honor, betrayal, uh, comedy. It's all there. Mental illness. And we could we can go verbatim what the entire movie was about, which we kind of did. Well, we did. We did. It's uh, What it is is only a footnote, but the journey these characters go on yeah. is uh, what we what we wanted to cover. And like I said, just because I hadn't seen it in a while doesn't mean I wouldn't recommend it. I just read the synopsis and go... Like I said, why isn't this in my video uh, video library? Because I would recommend this. Yeah, and as we go along with all these Robin Williams movies, we're going to be going into some of them where people are probably going to be like, 
one hour photo. Wasn't that as this creepy photo movie? <laughs> no, so we're gonna much be more than that. Very much more than that. Now at least that I, I've got I've got a real solid grasp on. Yeah, because I saw that one just three days ago. Yeah, but you know the Finisher King, we're talking something that I saw like maybe ten or fifteen years ago. Yeah, so it's. It's there, but it's not quite up yeah. there. I could pick up scenes, but trust me, I'm I'm pretty sure I love the movie. Oh yeah, uh, we wouldn't be talking about it if we didn't love it. Of course. And so, um, as we always do with everything like this, if you have to ask yourself why not the Fisher King, watch it. Yes, I'll be watching it again. <laughs> I'm 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 trying to find it so I can watch it. You can borrow mine. Cool. Okay. Um. So maybe we should knock some trivia out of the park on this pupper. Yeah, like we always uh, pupper. Pupper. Puppy. 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 Pup. Pup. Uh, it's, we'll, it's, we'll it's, it's, it's a combination of sucker and puppy. So Trademark Nowhere California. Yeah, pupper. No, pupper. <laughs> yeah, hey, at least at least I didn't get totally uh, messed up. At least it didn't sound dirty. And, and you covered your base as well. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, my, my mom used to say, um, oh yeah, shoop. Oh no, 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 foop. She used to say foop. She says it's a combination of fuck and poop. So... <laughs> When shit just doesn't work. <laughs> exactly. All right, so what do you got first? Okay, the first thing I got here is uh, this film. This is the first film directed by Terry Gilliam to not feature any other members of the Monty Python crew. Which is very interesting because mm-hmm. this was in 91, and Terry Gilliam's been directing for a while. He had. He had. And you, you'd think by the time this would have rolled around, because you see them playing off each other like, oh, you will Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. <laughs> Those crotchy old men. And and considering, you know, the whole Mon- the Monty uh, Python crew and everything that he had uh, done, for him to jump to this, uh, I think this was a, uh, this was breaking new ground for him in a yeah, lot of ways. Yeah, he was taking a shot at something different. It was a different script for him, but he made it his own. Like, we've, we talked about Terry Gilliam is a brilliant director. Exactly, yeah. Uh, you got one? Yeah, I got one. Uh, Howard Stern was asked for tapes of his radio show. But Howard refused and instead asked to be a consultant since they were modeling the character after him, like we were talking about earlier. Oh, wow. There's a Howard Stern aspect to this thing. The studio didn't want to pay Stern, so they declined and in return, Stern told them he wasn't interested in giving them the tapes. And honestly, I would almost guarantee that now (coughs) Howard would probably look at it like, I should just give him the stupid tapes. Yeah, exactly. Because um, after uh, Robin passed, I found uh, online Howard talking about uh, some friction, unfortunate friction that he had with Robin. Oh, really? Yeah, it was, uh, I forget which movie it was, and Howard being Howard, he just basically slammed it. He was like, this is stupid, I don't know why the Mork for Mork guy is doing this. Oh, wow. And then ever since that, he was just like, oh, God, I was so stupid to do that, I was so stupid. And every, off and on, he'd be like, I need to write Robin, and just tell him, like, dude, I really would love to talk to you again, mm-hmm. do an interview with you, and just talk to Robin Williams, because mm-hmm. he's always been a fan. And then the day he finally decided to sit down and write him, his wife comes in the room and tells him what happened. Oh, my God. And he's just like, fuck. Oh, jeez. So that's kind of, even, it, it, out of anybody to learn a lesson from is Howard Stern, and on that thing is you don't sit on... You don't sit on what your to-do list. Yeah, or uh, grief or gripe, and let, yeah. it, especially if you, do, if you feel like it's a petty, pointless gripe. Yeah, you yeah. think maybe the, like uh, Bill Murray kind of learned the similar thing with Harold Ramis? Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, like uh, the, uh, who was it that went to Bill saying, "Hey, Harold"? It was it was Brian. It was his brother Brian Doyle Murray. Uh, he goes, he goes, look, this is probably the last time you're going to see him. If you want, if you have anything you want to say, you should probably say. You that. need him. You bury the hatchet. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And um, at least he got a chance to do it, and 
Howard, unfortunately, did not. Yeah, unfortunately. Um, but uh, uh, what's the next up from you? Uh, next thing for me. Uh, oh yeah, this is this is kind of out of the blue. James Cameron was actually in serious talks to direct this movie, but he was already buried in Terminator Two. Wow, that'd been weird. That would have been a different kind of take. Yeah, but in a totally different movie. Doesn't seem like a James Cameron film, does it? No, it does not. And I think. It would have been a detriment to the movie. It, it would. I think. I think. It, I think. As much as it, James Cameron I, I, James is a creative visual good. guy, he's he's good with visuals, but um, I don't think he would have done this justice. The Red Knight would have been CG. It, it, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God! Liquid metal. Yeah. Liquid. Re- no, he had been flames. Yeah, he would. If, he would. If, it was, if it was going with the whole aspect of the Red Knight being kind of burning from the inside out, he would have made him a flaming. Love. Yeah. A flaming knight. Yeah. As much as I, um, you know, I mean. Uh, James Cameron's a great director oh, but yeah. probably not for this piece yeah it wouldn't have been right in his hands it, it, it's kind of like would you want James Cameron to do Hamlet oh <laughs> I don't know because I it, did kind of raise an interesting question there, yeah, yeah. anybody any director that takes on Shakespeare it's kind of like I want to see that let's see how you even if it's like Kevin Smith going I'm doing Twelfth Night huh <laughs> uh, what? okay you well, know what? Yeah, let's see what you can do with this I did that was kind of a loaded question wasn't it you're like, I love that, and I love the look on your face. I wish people could see it. Yeah. You just got this pandering look going, you know what? Yeah, I kind of do. Yeah, we yeah. seriously need to start setting up some cameras. We, we really do. Or figuring out a video method to our madness. Well, you know, it's just like, like I said, I'm, I'm conveying it as best I can. It's yeah. kind of like you've got that. And yeah, yeah, I kind of do want to see it. Yeah, that. there's certain aspects when directors take on certain things, especially Shakespeare. It's like, yeah, let's see what you can pull out of your ass here. Oh, exactly, yeah. Oh, you got another one before I uh, wrap uh, did, things up, don't you? Uh, did, did I? Um, I, I did. Uh, didn't I do the, uh, the James did, Cameron thing? Yeah, but you're going to talk about also to the. Uh, oh, okay. The uh, movies that were oh, inside yeah, the video the, store. The, the front window of the video game store features a. Uh, oh, oh no! Yeah, the video store. Sorry, mm-hmm. features a poster for director Terry Gilliam's uh, previous film, The Adventures of Baron uh, Baron Monchusen. Yeah. And a, a poster for Brazil, 1985, also directed by Gilliam. Uh, appears on the wall in the first video store scene. Almost all of the posters and videotape boxes in the video store are from RCA slash Columbia Pictures. Home Video, uh, the video arm of TriStar Pictures, which released the film. And let me uh, go with these as far as... Well, before you get into that, that's kind of a common practice, though, too, with uh, a lot of movies. Like, if there's a video mm-hmm. store scene, which now... If it's a period piece, we'll get a video store scene. <laughs> oh, I, oh, geez, no kidding, you don't get that now. Yeah, you know, that's gonna be the kind of thing. If we ever do make films or whatever, it's gonna be like I, I want to put a video store in there. But that was the standard rule of practice. Like whenever you saw like a video store or anything like that, like in Jersey Girl, you listen to the commentary of Jersey Girl when they're in the video store. Kevin Smith's talking about how all the Miramax movies that are there. I know, and, and that's it- the rule of thumb. Is like you're not really gonna see. Miramax movies and a Warner Brothers movie. I, I think that's funny. I guess that kind of says, I mean, maybe this is like pointless trivia. It's kind of like how... No, it's actually, it's a it's a lost piece of trivia because, like yeah. I said, video stores are gone. Well, they are now, yeah. It's, 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 it's a shame, but yeah, I remember when they were, when they do have that, they, they are, they're associated with the property or with the studio. It's like, hey, hey, let's pump these movies. I mean, if we're yeah. going to have the scene, it's like, well, sometimes I will be seeing a movie... That could be terrible, and say it takes place at a video store, yeah. and I am see- coming across stuff. God, I really wish I was watching watching that movie. I mean, <laughs> or also too, kind of the rule of thumb is too, you if it's like movies that are not part of that studio's canon, 
You'll see the movie's flipped over. Oh, right. Yeah. Right. Like You'll just see that the back. actor. It's kind of like... Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, You'll well, just get the words. You got Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, in a video store, and look, there's Commando. But no, no, they'll just superimpose Sylvester Stallone on it or something. Yeah, exactly. Like, they, like there's, there's tricks to the trade, but um, you can, there's actually a list of what was appearing in the store. Oh, yeah, this there? is... I, yeah, I have, to, I have to bring this up, because, uh, well, it has my favorite movie and yours. Uh, in Ann's video store, VHS copies of the following films. Oh, VHS. Uh, oh, God. Sorry, I had such to stop. A dead art for I, I had to stop for a second. Oh, got to get nostalgic there. Do you remember vinyl? Yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, films can be seen on display. The Toy. Head. Hey, mainstream slavery. Yeah. <laughs> head. Oh, yes, Head. Uh, yeah, Cyclone. Uh, Real Genius. Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters 2. Both of them, baby! Both of them. Hot Stuff, Hanky Panky, The Jillson Story, Bye Bye Birdie, Funny Girl, Funny Lady, uh, The Stephen, uh, 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 oh, The Stephen Little Foys, My Demon Lover, uh, Happy New Year, The Big Heat, Bless the Beasts and Children, California Sweet, uh, Salmon, or, oh no, Salmo, or Salome, Salome, Salome? Salome, S-A-L-O-M-E? Probably Salome. We'll, we'll just go with that. Oh, my bad. Gregory Girl, Tommy, Jolson Sings Again, Carmen, uh, uh, a song to remember, uh, Affair in, uh, in Trinityland, Angels Over Broadway, Road to Rio, Loving You, and You'll Never Get Rich. Yeah, and you look at those two, yes, they're probably part, they're part of that uh, video arm of that studio, but also, too, those are probably a lot of Terry Gilliam favorites, too. I think they are. Uh, they're, 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 they're probably, you know what? I think it's probably just a subtle recommendation list. Yeah, it's like, hey, look at these. Hey, if you love these, that's what it is. Because, you know, I'm, I'm looking at them, right? Yeah. And even all the ones that I know of, none of them are stinkers. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're not crap. Oh, I mean, I have seen people where, like, you see Howard the Duck in the back. Now, I personally don't think Howard the Duck is crap. You know me. But, <laughs> but you know how panned it is by, you know, critics and uh, maybe the casual viewer. Oh, yeah. Like, what the fuck was that? But Howard the Duck will probably be getting his own movie really soon. Oh, yeah. So. Or you're going to see more of Howard the Duck show up in backgrounds because now it's... It's a thing. It's a hipster thing now. Going, oh, oh yeah. hey, you saw Guardians of the Galaxy. Let's see the original... You know, I you know I think Howard the Duck uh, is probably now going to get a Blu-ray because of Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, I hope so. That'd be awesome. <laughs> it deserves one. It does. Uh, that was uh, was that my big one? Is that my closest? I think so because I, my, the next one I got is kind of a big one too. Oh, oh! Can I can I can I throw this one out before you finish? Yeah, yeah. One of the men who attacks Jeff Bridges early in the film. Oh, I almost forgot about this one. It's okay. Is played by Dan Fireman, who plays Robin Williams' son in the Birdcage. Which is a cool little piece of trivia. It is. Because I wonder if they remembered each other. That's what I was wondering. And he would have been a lot younger at this. I mean, this is yeah. when he would be a upcomer and he's like, oh, I'm thug number five and I'm beating the shit out of Jeff Bridges and Robin Williams. But also, you know? too, the flip of the coin on that, maybe Robin recommended him for the birdcage. It could have been. Because... You know, they could have been buddies on the... The thing is, anybody... I have heard some great stories. And I think... Well, uh, the, one, the story that comes to mind right now is Thud from Hook... Mm -hmm. Oh, talking yeah. to Robin about, I want to do this uh, short about uh, Hook and everything. Do you, you want to be in it? And he's like, yeah, of course. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the the big guy, right? Yeah, yeah Thud. Thud, Thud. Yeah, Thud, but yeah. Big, big, wonderful guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, the fact that Robin Williams was uh, ready to back that uh, yeah, project. he jumped I mean, right in. He's, he's, he's down for it. As a matter of fact, I think, uh, I mean, you know, he knows a good project. I mean, I don't think Matt, oh, you know what? I don't think we'd have. Ben Affleck is Batman 
if not for the influence of Robin Williams. That is very true. Because that's the that's the gateway. That's the gateway. Granted, we had Ben Affleck, uh, you know, doing things, but Ben Affleck's first really straight role was opposite Matt Damon, where you know where he wasn't just this goofball. Yeah. He was Matt Damon's buddy in yeah. Goodwill Hunting. Yeah, exactly. And it kind of showed. Oh yeah, here he is with his Boston accent and stuff like that. But he became you know kind of one of those guys who's like you like to see him. Well, that's the whole thing too. Um, when it comes down to it, like. Matt and Ben and uh, Robin passed and everything. They fly out said, and they'll still say it's like Robin got Goodwill Hunting made. Yes. If they didn't, weren't able to get Goodwill, uh, they weren't able to get Robin into Goodwill Hunting. The studio would have been like, no, you, got, you, you don't have a big name, so we're not going to push it as much as we would with a big name as Robin Williams. Yeah, and they were they were they've been they had, they were pals ever since. Yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. And that's that's what I think is awesome, and that's how down to earth Robin Williams was. He probably did recommend him for the Birdcage. It's like remember talking to. This yeah. up and coming actor. I mean, he or even he was, in an audition, going like mm-hmm. he probably maybe even went for an audition, and Robin's probably like, "Do you kick my ass in a movie before?" Yeah, exactly. There's there's many things that Robin Williams. There's so do. many stories we can fill in the gaps. Oh, he, with he, our own take. Oh, you can you can imagine because the thing is, children, children who work with them, everybody says the same thing. The children's and adult alike, they loved working with Robin Williams. Exactly. And Robin Williams just loved working with them. That's that's the power of Robin Williams. Exactly. And um, to finish up our trivia, yeah, the trivia section for right now, um, my final piece of trivia is a very grand scene. And like how we talked about the way Terry yeah. Gilliam uh, shoots his scenes and everything, this kind of tells you a lot. The scene where it's the Walty commuters where everything kind of just goes into that dreamlike state of everybody that's going through the Grand Central Station just starts doing the waltz as Robin yeah. and Lydia are meeting up. For the Walton commuter scene in Grand Central Station, the main hall for the terminal was shut down for the shoot from 8 p.m. until the first commuter trains arrived at 5 in the morning the next, the next morning. Wow. That tells you a lot about, like, filmmaking in general. They do this a lot. It's a night shoot. They'll work their way around it. They try to make the illusion there. Yeah, because it, the lighting effects outside of the large terminal windows made it seem like 5 in the evening for the entire night, and over 400 extras waltzed around the mirrored ball top information booth Again and again throughout the night. And kind of a cool thing, too, is on New Year's Eve now, an orchestra plays there and people waltz for real. It becomes a part. It's a thing. That's that's actually very, very magical what that what that's done. Yeah. Not to mention, I bet you that is probably one of the most complicated shots in oh, the yeah. film. Dance sequences are the, insane. Oh, they and are. Especially that They one. are. Uh, you know, I you know, and I can say this now. You know, I've been on sets, probably nothing this complex, but you can just kind of imagine, you know, the take after take and trying to get that rolling and stuff like oh, that. Oh yeah, it's well, just... like Kevin Smith during uh, the making of Clerks too, when they were doing the dance sequence outside the movies. Right. He was like, I always wanted to do uh, a dance sequence and everything, and after doing this scene, I don't want to do one ever again. <laughs> <laughs> I got it out of my system. Well, good for him, because it's such an undertaking. It, it is, and but that that waltzing commuter scene is beautiful. It's it, it, it beautifully shot. It's been a while since we actually have done a like full blown why not, and especially after the passing of Robin, we knew we were going to do this full year of Robin Williams yeah. why nots. So, as you're probably sitting there thinking, "What are you going to do the rapid fire Robin Williams thing again?" No, oh, we're not. no, 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 no. Don't don't jump before the horse, people. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a look at m- more of the works of the director of Terry Gilliam. Yeah. And his past works, like I said, and I'm stumbling on my words already. That's right. Mm-hmm. That's okay. Uh, anyways, uh, we're going to talk about just some of our favorites of the Terry Gilliam canon. So, Phil, go first. 
Oh, okay. Uh, do, do I do I say one and you go, or do I just... We'll go rapid fire. We'll go back and forth. Okay. Um, I would say Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Classic. Oh, absolutely. I, like, Look, you stupid bastard. you got no bloody arms left. I mean, it's just... It's well, great. I'll admit, I... I went and saw it during the Classic Showcase because I never saw it, so I had my role... No, but that's the way to see it. How? I didn't understand it. Yeah, you're not <laughs> supposed to, really. Yeah. Well, I got to the end, I'm like, that's it? Oh, okay. and they just get arrested? Yeah. <laughs> but but also, too, me being me, I'm like, okay, I get it, and I don't get it. <laughs> that's... I, I understand the Monty Python don't, world. Don't don't feel bad. That's... that's, that's Probably a lot of people. <laughs> that's that's the norm there. And yeah, but I think Holy that's... Grail is a classic. It is, yeah. is a beautifully done movie. That's the one that they always showed in the 1990s. They always showed Monty Python the Holy Grail on Comedy Central. That oh, was yeah. their, their golden child. Yeah, that was their go-to movie. I love that. Yeah, and it's weird. I never watched it when it was on Comedy Central. It took me until like recently to see it. Well, you need to, you need to you need to see it uncensored because I mean uh, you know, you're missing a lot when it's not when it's censored. Yes, you are. Yeah. Um. Uh, okay. So my my Where? first one out of the canon will be one we kind of mentioned during this episode: the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Right. Very the, very twisted. Uh, very, very twisted, but also too, if you knew know oh, know and understand the backstory of how this movie got made, because Heath Ledger. Was supposed to be throughout the entire movie. I know, and he passed. Then he passed away, and luckily, one Terry Gilliam was almost ready to scrap because mm-hmm. it was Heath Ledger. But then also too, he got an idea to bring in Colin Farrell, Johnny Depp, mm-hmm. and Jude Law. Yeah. And then one of the really cool things about it too is Johnny Depp, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell. They all dedicated their salaries to, to his Heath's daughter. daughter, and, and they just did it to finish the work for their friend. That was good. And it's beautifully done. It's a weird acid trip of a movie, which falls short for a lot of people because you get to the really weird stuff. But it's a miracle it got completed. It's a miracle it got completed, and it deserved to get completed because it was a really great story. It was. Yeah. It was. Yeah. And uh, that's... That's That shows the strength of Terry Gilliam. Next one on mine is Time Bandits. Another classic. Yes. Big mm-hmm. time. Yeah. Is that basically it? That's a bike drop? Or it's oh, like time bandits. My, time Boom. bandits. That's it. <laughs> that's all I gotta say. What more do I have to say? It's time Period. bandits. Period. Yeah. Uh, next one for me is 12 Monkeys. Very good. The, the Bruce Willis Brad Pitt movie, which got Brad Pitt an Oscar win, I believe, if I remember correctly. But another really twisted movie where you you got to make sure you're paying attention every little bit because when the end is revealed, you're like, i got to sit through this movie again. Yeah. <laughs> because it's like, I gotta see where this where I, the, there's those little sprinkling of Easter eggs throughout the movie where it's like, this is where it's leading, this is where it's leading, and then you get the reveal and you're like, oh wow, yeah, and, and I'm leaving it kind of vague because if honestly you have not seen Twelve Monkeys, go yeah, watch there's, it now. There's another why not for you. Yes. Um, uh, now this one I'm throwing out as a recommendation. Now, I haven't seen it, but it's a recommendation also for myself. The Adventures of Baron Man, uh, Manchusen. Well, you talked about it a little bit too. I talked about it a little bit because I'd and... seen the trailers and stuff like that with the clamshell uh, lady. Hello. Yeah. I mean that. I, I, the thing is, I now know where those tropes came from when they are being satired on TV. I saw the satires way before I actually saw the actual movie. So see, see, I'm not without shame. Oh yeah, exactly. And uh, but in all fairness, I can't find this sucker. Oh, it's a hard one to find. If it's... I could find this sucker on DVD, I would have gotten it already. It's out of the mainstream and. Yeah, I, I'm 
I talk shame among myself, but I'm a sadomasochist when it comes to that. Where oh, it's I like, know. I should watch it. I should watch <laughs> it. No, I, I know, I know. You still asked for it, and I gave you. I, I still give you certain shit for a lot of things. Yeah. Like, how do you not even see this by accident? I'll yeah. still do that. To you. Oh yeah, because I I call for it. I know, I know. Uh, to wrap up my recommendations, because okay. I got three, and I know you have one more after this. I do, but that's all right. Is uh, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Now that one's fun, funky. Another uh, interesting shot is with all those Elvises parachuting out the. Uh, no, that's not fair. Oh, that's not fear and loathing. Oh, no, no. I got backwards. Vegas. Sorry, that's leaving Las Vegas. Sorry. No, that's honeymoon in Vegas. Honeymoon in Vegas? No. Yeah, leaving Las Vegas is where Nicolas Cage is drinking himself to death. That's the one. Leaving Las Vegas. There's no parachuting Elvises in leaving Las Vegas. Are you sure? I am sure. There's parachuting Elvises in honeymoon in Vegas with Nicolas Cage. No, thank you, Nicolas Cage. That's the yeah. one. Well, you got your, you Vegas. got your Nicolas Cage Vegas movies mixed up. I sure did. Yeah. Wow. Well, tr- trust me, we're not yeah. going over the mask. No, 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 I'm not. No, I was following you. I'm, I'm, I'm only, oh, shit, where did I trip? The, the trains were colliding. No, 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 it's okay. I was going, I was going, okay, where did I trip? Yeah. You know, so, and I did, but. Nicholas you know, Cage was your trip. Nicholas Cage was there, yeah. It was Nicholas Cage. Okay, but Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, that's Johnny Depp. That's Johnny Depp, Benicio Del Toro, the uh, film adaptation of the Hunter S. Thompson novel, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, which. I read the book after I saw the movie, and I'm like, wow. Yeah. They did it pretty well, but it's also, too, this is like, this is a gonzo thing to now, try to do. that one's another freaking acid trip, but... Uh... And I know there's other directors, because I've listened to the commentary multiple times on this one, and they talked, like, one of the producers talked about how many different directors were in line to make this movie, but mm-hmm. Terry Gilliam was the only one that would be able to do it justice. Oh, absolutely. Doing, like, the drug scenes, the lizard people in the lounge. Oh, my God, that was funny. It was a fucking buffet, you know? Yeah, and, and be able to talk Johnny Depp into going that deep in a role. Talking Benicio Del Toro to jump that big... Because you seen and Tobey Maguire before he was Spider-Man. Yeah, well, all the people that did uh, guest stars spots in that. Like, Benicio Del Toro, you see him now as like this good-looking, handsome guy. Yeah. He plays a freaking fat Samoan in Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I know, I know. And, yeah, it's, it's a crazy freaking trip, and... To quote Hunter S. Thompson, if you have not seen it, buy the ticket, take the ride, because Fear and Love in Las Vegas is one you have to experience. Yeah, see, I, I, I um, I won't, that one's I've only seen bits of. Yeah. But I could look at Fair and Loathing in Las Vegas and look at the Imaginarium and see how they're related. Oh, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, those guys are cousins. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, with less drug influence on uh, Imaginarium. Uh, quite a bit. But, you know, but I will not deny that they're visually captivating. Oh, very, very. Um, and uh, let's see, well, the one that I threw in, oh, here's one for you. Now, this one's a mindfuck, and I'm not selling, saying that this is necessarily a really good story, but this is the Brothers Grimm. Really interesting take on the uh, Grimm brothers. Yeah. And uh, one of my favorite parts is I like this little mud monkey thing that turns into the gingerbread man. I taste good! Because <laughs> it, uh, it takes... Um, um, yeah, it takes like the mouth and eyes off this child, and it's able to speak itself. And it is a weird monstrosity, uh, monstrous creation. And it's only on the, uh, it's only in frame for like uh, six minutes. Yeah. But it, it's funny to watch. And the characters themselves are twisted. And uh, you got both Heath Ledger and Matt Damon in the yeah. film. Um, like I said, not their best work and not. Uh, not Terry Gilliam's best, but I'd say give it a look if you want a good laugh. Well, that's the whole thing, too. It may not be one of their best works, but also, too, they may have got the script and, like, Terry Gilliam probably got the script first and was like, really? Mm-hmm. And then I was like, okay, I'll do what I can with it. And then 
Heath Ledger and Matt Damon probably got word that Terry Gilliam was doing the movie, and they're mm-hmm. like, "We're in." I, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying they didn't try. Oh yeah, I'm pretty sure in somebody else's hands this could have been a real piece of shit. Oh, exactly. Is all I'm saying. Uh, the thing is, it, it's got some it's got some value in being watched as it is. I think I don't think anybody else could have taken this script and done with it what Terry Gilliam did with it. Exactly. And that's kind of like you said, like if James Cameron got it, I don't think it would have been that good. No. And that is a good way to wrap things up because, yeah. like, with this being our first uh, Robin, why not with the Fisher King and everything, there's a lot of why nots here. It's like, if you haven't seen Fisher King, why not? Mm-hmm. If there's, like, the uh, Terry Gilliam movies we've mentioned, if you haven't seen them, why, why not? not? And just simply, you can't why a movie, you just gotta why not.